Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Very glad that you're here this morning to celebrate Jesus with us. Well, some of you may be here to celebrate your mother, uh, but I'm so glad that you're here, regardless of what brings you to the room today. And what my prayer has been is that you'll immediately feel a part of the family uh, while you're here. This may not be your regular church, or you may be looking for a church, or you may not be looking for a church. And, uh, and I would encourage you, maybe after today, that you'd, you'd uh, be more intentional about finding a group of people to grow in Christ-likeness with. We're going to be in 1 John. 1 John, that's John with a one in front of it. Not the gospel of John, the epistle of John, the letter of John. 1 John chapter 2. In last week, just as a quick refresher, the apostle John gave us a test by which we may be able to continually be assured that we truly know or in the continual process of knowing more and more about Jesus. So you're in a relationship with Jesus, but the the more that you are walking with Jesus, the more of Jesus you learn, the more of him you know, more of his nature and his character and his attributes. And that's that's one of the beautiful things about 1 John so far is that the longer you walk with Jesus, it never becomes stale. It never becomes stale. So if you walk In obedience with Jesus and his word, you are in a continual growing curve. Jesus' very last words to his disciples on earth were for them to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything he had taught. So we know that we know him as we are walking in obedience to the word of God. Again, that's verses 3 through through six, you get to verse six, and he clarifies it. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And then you get to chapter two, verse seven. John goes on to take this test of Christ likeness. And I, as a pastor, I have a lot of conversations with people who just maybe don't live in the assurance of their faith, or they just want to know for sure, or who, who live in a hope-so kind of faith. And John dispels this actually 2,000 years ago and says, here's how you can know whether or not you are walking in obedience. That's the only way to truly know. So he goes on to take that test and he begins to apply that test of obedience more specifically to the most obvious area of our lives. The area that every one of us can be tested in and I would even say probably tested in the same ways in. The part of us that if it's obedient in this area, we will have obedience in every other area of life. And of course, the litmus test is the area of loving other people. You probably won't hear a more simple message than this message. If Jesus' life, his teaching, his walk, his example, especially his death, 
If this epitomizes love, then those who claim to follow after Jesus are both obligated and blessed to love the way Jesus loved. What do I mean by obligated and blessed? Well, it all depends on your perspective. If you find Jesus a joy and are in a growing relationship with, you, with him, it is a blessing to give that love away, to demonstrate that love away. But if you tend to be a little more selfish in your relationship with Jesus and you choose Jesus based on what you can get, it does not negate our responsibility to love others the way he loved. So I would say that loving in obedience one another is both an obligation and a blessing. Can you love out of obligation? Well, I don't rightly know. I don't really know. I've tried to think of a of an area of life where you could love out of obligation. But here's what I do know. I do know that Jesus can change people's hearts. When their hearts are put on the right things, he gives us a heart for those things. So even if we will love unconditionally the way he loves, if we will love out of obligation, Jesus will give us a heart of love for a blessing. Love is a command. It's a command that we should desire, that we should want. But even if we don't, we're not absolved. And so we oblige love until we desire love. You may say, well, that's just going through the motions. Yeah, it may be, it may be temporarily until we learn to do it out of love for, for him. We'll get to that. So let's, let's look at verse 7 of 1 John chapter 2. John the beloved says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. When Jesus was in the upper room the night that he was betrayed, you remember that he demonstrated great love for his disciples in this way that after Dinner was, supper was over. Uh, Jesus girded himself with a towel. You remember what he does? He washes the disciples' feet. Among them was the feet of Judas. Great love. Jesus then, immediately after that, in John chapter 13, John, same writer, same memory, John chapter 13, verse 14 says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now, not only was Jesus giving us an illustration of selfless humiliation that we should model, I believe that we should model it, 
But he was also saying something much more significant, much more difficult for us to practice every day of our life. And and what Jesus is ultimately giving us through this illustration, not just a symbol, but this act of humiliation and selflessness is those who follow Jesus. Listen, I'm going to speak in bold a couple times today. This is, I'm getting ready to speak in bold. Those who follow Jesus must set aside their rights and serve one another out of love, regardless of the other person. Whether the other person is a Peter or whether the other person is a Judas or whether the other one is an apostle John. In that same chapter, just a couple of of breaths beyond in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, loving of one another the way I love you, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. What Jesus is saying is that loving one another is the proof that the love of Jesus is inside of us. And the proof that the love of Jesus is inside of us is that we spend time with him and we look like him, we walk like him, we we live as he lived. And that's how you know. These words, we talked about this last week, are resonating in John's mind as he wrote this old new covenant. John says it's an old one, but it's a new one. And it's, I believe that it's the false teachers. We gave a little bit of historical knowledge about this, that they were writing some things that were new, some things that had been discovered, and they were teaching the churches that were established in the first century some new doctrines. And John was writing to correct those false teachings that were creeping in. And John's using a play on of words here when he says this new commandment, but he goes back in his memory to what Jesus had already said. We don't need new truth is what John is saying. These false teachers are telling you they have these new truths that we've discovered. We don't need new truths. We need to get back to the old truths, the old commandments that you have heard and that you know. On the other hand, if you want new truth, you can have new truth. There are old commandments, but they're new commandments. The old commandment is the new commandment. Because Jesus gave it to us. I think in in short, what he is saying is that loving one another is the essential mark of someone who claims to follow Jesus. Not loving people that are easy, loving people that you're in a network with. But loving all peoples. And not, well, I think what John is saying here, and I I don't mean to impose my opinion on this, but I, I think that the reason that this makes so much sense to us is it's an old commandment, but you've been negligent of it. It's an old commandment, but you've not been practicing it. This was a consistent problem with God's people from the very beginning. 
love one another. Adam, love Eve. Well, I think that Adam probably did love Eve as far as it affected him, but there was some lack in Adam's love of her where he didn't give her the full truths that God had told him to give to her. It was uncomfortable truths. So he shrank away. Did Adam love Eve? Yeah, I think Adam loved Eve, but not with the Jesus kind of love. Did the children of Israel love God? Yes, they loved God and they bowed down to golden images. They loved according to their definitions of love so much as they wanted to love God. And over and over, we begin to see that even in the early church. Did they love Jesus? Yes, but they're also listening to these new truths that are creeping in and being put on the bookshelves. Oh, it's old. It's an old commandment, but it's not practiced. So I'm going to give it to you again because you might not have heard it for the first time. Well, they did hear it. They just weren't obeying it. But it's often neglected. It's neglected in our day. It's neglected. It's overlooked. It's excused. It's justified. We make up all kinds of reasons not to love people that are difficult. So remember 1 John 2, 6, we must walk as he walked. Some translations say must walk as he walked. Other translation says ought to walk. You ought to know better. Every, every parent in the room knows you ought to know better by now. You know what I mean? Anybody? Help me. Where's the Mother's Day message? We were looking for the Mother's Day message. No, no, no. You ought to do something. It means like it's really great advice. So I thought, well, I'm just going to break this down real quick and give you a real quick synopsis of what John actually expects from verse 6. The word must or ought is it used the way it's used in our English? It means to be duty-bound. Okay, it's easy. Duty-bound. Must walk. That word walk doesn't mean that we need to wear sandals, although I think that's okay. Walk means to go. As you are walking. As your lifestyle is going is what it means. As, this is very important, it means to the same degree, in proportion to the other. What it means is our love, listen, this is, this is so heavy. Our love for each other is to be no less than Jesus' love for us. And lastly, must walk as he walked. Now, in English, that word is past tense which would imply that we should live as Jesus lived while he was on earth, when he was here. That's when he was past tense. But I've got news for all of you Greek lovers. This word isn't past tense. It's present tense. We don't live the way Jesus lived. We live the way Jesus lives. We love the way Jesus loves. We don't model our life based on how Jesus was in his flesh. We model the love of Jesus as he sits at the right hand of the Father. How does he love today? That's what we ask. How does Jesus love today? And that's the love that our lives are supposed to model. And it's this love that the world will be able to see who Jesus really is. Not as they see some epiphany but as they watch how Christians love each other and they watch how Christians love terrorists and hateful people 
and murderers. You proclaim unconditional love, Christ followers. We claim this unconditional love to a lost world and we tell them about this Jesus who loves us. But what are we doing to demonstrate that love? We claim to be indwelt by a perfectly loving God that empowers us. But as soon as our minds are checked out, we grumble and we complain about everything, friends, family, work, our rights. It's one of the things you'll never see Jesus or Jesus followers do in the first century. They'll never grumble, complain about their rights, what they're entitled to. I think about Jesus, them laying him down, putting nails in his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, his back ripped open. And how does Jesus respond to his rights in that moment? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. So I wonder, and I'm asking myself this, I'm learning. Does, does Jesus' love describe the way that we are going when people look and they watch our lives and they hear our words and they watch our character, do they say, man, they act just like Jesus. I don't know Jesus, but I suspect that he lives a lot like your name. So one of the things that I believe that we have to do is to define love biblically, not culturally. That's one of the most important things. If, there's a, if there is a major problem in the world today, it's that culture stole our dictionary. And coming along behind us and taking every word that already had a working definition and are redefining much about our faith and our walk and our purpose. I could mention many, but I'm just going to stick to love culturally. If you mention the word love, people think nice. Niceness, being nice. They picture a loving person as always being nice and sweet towards everyone. Never confront, never disagree, always affirm. Someone who is nice always has the same opinion as you have. Oh, they're nice. Don't think I've ever argued with them. They're nice. They are always so kind to me. They're loving someone who never gets upset and someone who never upsets anyone else. But if you're familiar with the four Gospels at all, <clears throat> Jesus loved the Pharisees, the religious leaders, when he said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. He loved Peter when he said, get behind me, Satan. He loved the multitude when he said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? In Acts chapter 13, it says that Paul, at that point Saul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit recorded in Galatians is love. When he said to Elymas, you who are full of deceit and fraud... You enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. 
filled with the Holy Spirit. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that truth must be spoken, but it also must be spoken in, what is it? Love. So if you want to break that truth in love, truth, I believe, regards to God's truth, and love regards how we deliver it to our fellow man. So to regard God honestly, we must speak his truth, not our opinions. But to regard our fellow man, that truth of God must be delivered in love, with love. But what does it mean to love? Our definition of love, if it's to love perfectly with Jesus' kind of love, it must encompass everything the Bible says about love and not what our worldly, selfish culture says about love. So what does it look like for a Christian to truly love others, to love one another? Now, all through this, John doesn't identify the old, new commandment in these first two verses. He only mentions one love one time, and that's in verse 10. But his reference to the new commandment makes it really obvious that he is referring to Jesus' commandment to love one another. And then he capitalizes it in verse 10. Now, this commandment is old in two senses. Number one, Moses actually gave this in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, when Moses taught, you shall love your neighbor as, anybody want to take a guess? As yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus identified this particular passage of Scripture as the second greatest commandment after the command to love God with everything that you have, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So in that sense, this commandment has actually been with God's people for 1,400 years. It's an old commandment. But that was an old commandment in that these believers had heard it from the very earliest days of their faith, of walking in their yes with Jesus. Verse 7 says, in which you have had from the beginning, maybe he's talking to old people of their ancestors, but then he goes on to say, the old commandment is the word which you have heard. So it's true, John isn't taking them all the way back to Moses. John's taking them back to their yes toward Jesus. But sometime in between that time and now, false teachers have been offering new things, fresh things, and Christians were falling for it. I call it being heavy-minded. It's these Christians who, rather than learning how to love and actually loving, they'd rather sit in a class and learn more and more and more and more and more. And, and they're educated far beyond their obedience. Looking for some new perspective, some new twist, some new hidden meaning, some new way of understanding. And we sit on the sidelines watching other people while we're sitting in a classroom trying to learn more. There's nothing wrong with learning, by the way. Learning is very, very important. But it must be mixed with obedience, the application of God's truth. That's where we grow into Christ-likeness. You don't grow into Christ-likeness by knowing about love. You grow in Christ-likeness by loving. John says in John 2, 8, the commandment is new. Jesus issued it as a new command. 
John Stott, I like what he says about this passage in John 13. It hadn't been quite obeyed the way Jesus intended, but for four ways this old commandment becomes new when Jesus clarifies love. Be patient as I work through this. First, it was new because Jesus brought that, this command to love as the summation of all of the law and prophets. They hadn't heard that yet. Second, it was new in that you can get a demonstration, a visual demonstration of this self-sacrifice on the cross. And that sacrifice on the cross becomes the standard by which love exists. So even when you talk about marriage, husbands love your wives as what? Christ loved the church. Well, Jesus loves the church a lot, doesn't he? But we're not left to that definition. We're actually given the definition that and laid his life down for her. It's the cross that becomes the standard for love. Third, it was new in that the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, Jesus extends the definition of neighbor, not now the person who lives beside you, but now there's no such thing as race, there's no such thing as people groups, there's no such thing as religion or boundaries or nation. Every one is your neighbor. And lastly, the disciples learned that Jesus' love for them on the cross is inexhaustible. Never could we possibly plumb its depths. And so as we grow in our great knowledge of his great love, we grow in our apprehension of how we must love each other. You know, it's like, it's like once we say yes to Jesus and we love at that level, it's like the more I walk with Jesus, the deeper and the wider my love is for the world. So yeah, this gospel, you've had it all along. You knew it when you first said yes to Jesus. You had all of the love of Jesus. Listen to this. This is in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It's very important, by the way. Love, love is the gospel. That the whole world could understand. Love is the gospel that they had believed at the very beginning when they said yes to the gospel, it was yes to the love of Jesus. But sadly, many Christians will receive the love of God, but they forget that the promise to all of God's people was that they were blessed to be a blessing. I want you to remember this and write it down if you need to write it down. There's not been one thing that God has ever given to you that he doesn't expect you to give away. Everything that God has ever given, there is a receiving and there is a giving. Every promise. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's what he told Abraham from the very beginning. Everything that you have. So if you receive love, what's he expect you to do with it? Let it marinate, but it's got to come out. The grace of God, the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of, of transgressions to those who hurt us. Love your enemies Right? Pray for those who spitefully use you. Over and over, we're receiving these things from God, and we're fine with that. But it's the giving away that we struggle with. 
Was it Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 14? He said that I am obligated to the Gentiles and to the barbarians to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was a Jew. I'm obligated. Thank God that obligation included a desire. Obligated. I wonder at what points are we obligated to love instead of just receiving from him, obligated to give it away, to be intentional. It might take some time to sit down and to think through some things, to think through relationships, think through difficulties and say, tomorrow I know I'm going to be working with this person. How can I love them? Not how can I get even. Not how can I avoid them. Not how can I get more people on my side than is on their side. How can I love them with a sacrificial love? Some of you may be married to that person. How do I love them the way Jesus loves me? Romans 5, 5. It says this, that the love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We find that in this verse, when you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and pours Jesus' love inside of you. It's the first fruit mentioned of the Holy Spirit. The entire scripture is summed up by loving God and loving one another. What's my point? The very moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior, you have every ability to love with his love. The very moment. This isn't something that you have to learn. It takes a long time. i got to sit in a class and learn how to love these people. The very moment that you say yes to Jesus, you are perfectly capable of loving the least of these. Loving your enemies. Loving those who use you. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Learning to love your spouse as Jesus loves you. Loving your children. Loving your bosses. Loving your employees. Loving those that hate your guts. That very moment of yes, the Holy Spirit pours Jesus' love on you, empowering you to love selflessly. Some of you are waiting for a new gear. There's not a new gear. There's a new step in obedience to allow Jesus to love through you, to stop focusing on being loved and start focusing. I'm telling you, you can't love other people selflessly and not feel valued. Some of you are looking around to be valued and entitled to love and entitled for special treatment, entitled to all this stuff, and you wonder, does anybody even care? Let me tell you, once you give it away a little bit, find out all of a sudden you start being an encourager, you'll be encouraged. You start being loving, you'll be loved. You start valuing other people, you'll start being valued. Make other people a hero, people will start wanting to be around you. This is what John is saying. And of course, we all have different amounts of the flesh that we overcome and we have lots of baggage. We all have different stories. Some of us have more trauma than others. But when you let Jesus in, love is poured in as well. And it all begins with how you think about other people. Now that Jesus dwells inside of me, I don't think about myself first. I, I mean, I do, but you're not supposed to. Think about myself first. You have a choice there to make. I don't think about my feelings. I don't think about my rights I don't think about my needs. I begin to think about God first. What's in it for God first? Where's God's glory? 
How can I glorify God first? And when this is true, then thinking of others is second nature. How can I serve this person in love? How can I bring Jesus into this person's moment? How can I encourage this person's marriage? How can I encourage this parent who's, who's struggling? Not how do I avoid them because I don't really like drama. Rather than thinking about how right we are or how better we are or how angry we are about how somebody has wronged us and how they deserve to get theirs. Well, here's the thing. They will get theirs for all eternity if somebody doesn't love them with Jesus' love. And don't tell me you want people to go to hell and you love Jesus. Next time you start dealing with a difficult person, don't see yourself as a victim. Try seeing Jesus on a cross and do what he did. Try seeing Jesus kneeled down before Judas. Do what he did. It's a lot easier to love when you see Jesus. When you rehear it a lot at weddings, and that's a good place for it, but in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love, it's the love passage is square in the middle of chapter 12 and 14 which are spiritual gift passages of scripture and here is chapter 13 which talks a lot about spiritual gifts and then there's a couple verses that talk about love and we talk about this as being marital love but it's not marital love only that's a great place for it to be seen but it's actually God's definition of love love is patient love is kind love's not envious it does not boast it isn't arrogant or rude it it's not selfish. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It never ends. I think we need to write that down somewhere and we need to read that every day when we begin our day. Here's what my relationships are going to look like today. Love then begins to extend to your speech. When it's affected your heart, it begins to move to your speech. And I think about we need to start putting off the things we say that are negative and put on the things that Jesus would say. In fact, Galatians 5.15 says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 8, but now you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Listen, when Jesus' love is poured in, your words begin to shift from only benefiting you, only protecting you, only defending you. You stop lying. You stop stretching the truth to fit your own advantage, and you're able to speak the truth in love. It becomes much more difficult to gossip and to slander, and it becomes a lot easier to encourage and to edify. James says, if you can tame the tongue, you can tame the whole body. And when your mouth begins to change, your activities in your life begins to change. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, let love be genuine. There's how you know. Can love be an obligation? I don't think so. 
So if you want to claim to love one another out of obligation, well, I have to love people, you, get a, you better check your love with the Father. That's exactly what John is trying to get them to understand. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love, another, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He said in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You begin looking for opportunities to serve other people. How can I give my life away? How can I give my words away? How can I give my heart away? This is what it looks like to love one another. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says that we should be those who, those who claim themselves as the possession of Jesus are zealous for good works, looking for opportunities to make much of Jesus. The bad thing is, is a lot of Christians today look for good opportunities to do a lot of good works. Just not out of love. Out of feeling good for themselves. Or out of obligation. Serving people and then talking negatively about them. Running them down behind their back. Having negative judgments about people. Say, well, you just, you don't know, Pastor. I don't, I don't have the strength to do what you're saying. You don't know how people treat me. I'm a magnet for haters. I don't know how they treat you. You're right. That's absolutely right. But here's the good thing. I don't, and while I'm very interested in knowing, if you'd like to share it, uh, I don't have to know. What I have to know is how they treated him. So if you think that you're more mistreated than Jesus was mistreated, then you might have a case. But if you compare how you were treated with how Jesus had been treated, well, I don't know who you think you are. But it ain't a follower of Jesus. Verse 8, John says this old new commandment is true in him and in you. It's true in him because, man, he, he left heaven. He, he was born as this you know, poor baby, born into a poor home, <laughs> left the, the riches of heaven, came to this broken, rebellious, sin-stained world, not as a conquering king that he deserved to be, but as, you know, lowly servant, washing feet of fishermen and tax collectors, obedient to the death of the cross at the hands of sinful men and he could have overcome all of that with a single word and he did it all to save people who miss the mark of God's glory here's another bold sentence that I'm going to make everyone who Jesus loves every person that Jesus has ever loved is undeserving He's never loved anyone who deserved it. I got another one. Everyone that Jesus loves, even in this moment, deserves God's wrath. 
That's all of Jesus' people. John says it's also true in you. If you ask, how so? The answer is because you are now in him and he is now in you. It's true in him fundamentally. It's true in you derivatively. It's like because it's true in him, it is also true in you because we are joint heirs with Jesus and everything that Jesus gets, he gives to us. The ability to love with his perfected love is Jesus' gift to you to allow you to obey every other commandment that he has. You realize this, that, that if you're going to be obedient to Jesus at all, the baseline is loving with his love. It's the baseline. It's the starting place. Paul talks about being in Christ. James uses the word abiding a lot. So if you're lacking for love and somebody in your life, you're lacking for love for them, just say, Lord, I, you know that, and again, this may not be right, so you have to test the spirit on this yourself, but Lord, I'm empty right now with love, and this is a tough person. I'm not going to be able to love them right now, but I know your love is in me, so if you would just love them through me, help me find a way to love them. You love them through me. I'm willing to do that, but I, it ain't going to come easy for me right now. Is that any less obedient to Jesus? No. He already knows. He says, because the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. What we find, with a little bit of good news here, is that there's a progress of learning to love more and more. Learning to love. Darkness doesn't dissipate instantly. It gradually is dispelled in the true light of Jesus. God's word shines more and more into our hearts. That's why I believe an ongoing relationship with Jesus is so important. Because when your patience is thin with people, it's because your time with Jesus is thin. You, that's always going to be true. When, you're, when your patience with people, when, you're, when your love is low, your time with Jesus is low. They're, they're always going to be proportional to each other. And so Paul prayed for the Philippians when he said that their love may abound still more and more. Loving is something that we get better at. We learn more of his love. We model his love better. All right, we're going to come to the home stretch. The phrase, the one who says, tips us off again that John's talking about these false teachers. And he's comparing Jesus' love with theirs. They're claiming to be enlightened, but they're arrogant and they're self-centered. They didn't love in a sacrificial way, in the Jesus way, and John is reminding them to compare love to Jesus. Don't listen to it here. Watch Jesus and you'll know if it's real or not. They were using people to build a following for themselves rather than building people to follow Jesus. So John shows them that these false teachers are not true believers. They do not love. They hate. They are not in the light, not even a little bit. And their love reveals their darkness and they are in the darkness until now. But if if this is the test that we should use for false teachers, shouldn't we apply that same test to our own love? Listen, this is tough. We've got to be honest with ourselves. But there are many who profess to know Christ, but their lives 
do not practice biblical love. And John shows us here that loving Jesus is inseparable from the light of Jesus, just as hatred is inseparable from darkness. And John and Jesus don't allow any middle ground. And that's what I want to point out for just a moment. There is no middle ground here where you can kind of be, and I I want this to be a little bit funny, but I don't want you to forget this, where you can be a little bit loving Jesus and a little bit cantankerous. I'm just, yeah, that's fun, well, but you know me. You know what I'm talking about? People who are like, well, check it at the door. This whole, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little garbage. Don't try to pass it off on me. Or the, or the gospel or uh, the epistle of John. They don't pass the mustard. I said I was hoping that'd be a little funny. I didn't think it would be. I just wanted it to be. You may be thinking, hate is a really strong word. I, I mean, I may not love that difficult person, but I don't hate them. What is the Greek word, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I really wanted to, you to ask that question. And so it is the word meseo. Ooh, can't wait to unpack this one. It's a tricky word. I know you knew it's going to be a tricky word. This word meseo, it means to hate or to, to de- detest. Wait, that's not too tricky, is it? That's about as common sense a word as there could possibly be. There is no middle ground. You either love with the love of Jesus, anything less than the love of Jesus is hate, detestable, to be in the way. Poof. John doesn't go into gray Christianity. You love the person, which requires sacrificing yourself for that person's highest good, just like Jesus did on the cross, or you hate them. John's writing to this Gentile, or Paul's writing to his Gentile church situation in Titus chapter 3. And he says this. This is very important. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to every, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and we led, uh, were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul agrees. Anything less than Jesus' love is hate. He goes on to talk about how through God's kindness and God's love, they were transformed through salvation. The point is that no matter how dark or how unloving your background, if you tolerate in your life any form of loveless action, words, or heart, after you come to Jesus, your profession of faith is suspect at best. Yes, we will fail. The question is not, can we still be unloving? Yes, the question is, how How much will we tolerate? Do we excuse it? Do we justify it? Do we accept it? Or are we pricked in our hearts by it? Are we saddened and broken by our prejudices and our racisms and our hate? 
our selfishness? Are we aware how unloving we actually are? I'm not trying to say that we can get into a place where we love perfectly, but we, know, we must know what to do with it, and it's to drive it back to the love of Jesus, and it softens us all over again. I think it's one of the reasons why Christians become so hard is because we don't take that unloving spirit back to Christ. Now, whether verse 10 means the light of Jesus or the light of his word, but to abide in the light means to live your life exposed to Jesus and to be obeying his word. Listen, love, Jesus' love is not possible without the work of Jesus in you. But with the work of Jesus, love is automatic. He goes on and he says that if you love your brother and abide in the light, there's no cause for stumbling. And I don't know if he is saying if you love people well enough, they're not going to stumble. But I think that what he has in mind is, is if you love, if you learn to love, you're not going to stumble. If you learn to love, you're not going to stumble. So I started thinking about that and really, really process that. Walking in love, whether it's for others or whether it's me, preserves us from sin. Failure to love, and I'm still working on this, but failure to love leads to every other sin. So I think like guilt, anxiety, fear usually exists because of some wrong that was done outside of love. Lust, sexual immorality are serious sins, but both of those are rooted in a lack of appropriate love for other people. And some people say, well, as long as that sin only occurs in my mind, I just, we're willing to overlook it. But overlooking it is proof that we're living in darkness and we're lying to ourselves. You cannot be obedient to Jesus any further than you love the unlovable. That's as far as you can be obedient. It's how far you love. Not people that pat you on the back, but how you love people that hate you. Take the sins of greed and stealing and murder and jealousy and gossip. They all stem from a failure to love. Boy, we sure do love ourselves. But it's a selfish love that's not been perfected by the love of Jesus. It's, 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 it's loving the wrong direction. It's loving self first and then loving others. But when you love God first, loving others is second nature. But as I learn to love him, I learn to love myself. And I can love my neighbors as I love myself. My identity I find in Jesus and if my identity is in Jesus, then I must identify with him to you. It's heavy. He says, if you hate your brother, you're lost. You're in darkness. You can't see. You're blinded. You've allowed yourself to be blinded. You ever been, you ever been lost and not know it? I mean, it's one thing to be lost and know it, but you've been lost and not know it. We were coming back from South Carolina back in the fall, and boy, I missed my turn. I was singing, everybody was asleep, and I was just singing. Boy, it was a sight to be held. And I drove one hour 
after I missed my turn. And I thought, I don't think this is right. Oh, my goodness. You, I wasn't singing anymore. So one of you, uh, I was supposed to meet at Midtown once. We made it very clear where we were meeting. And so I go to the one up here by McDonald's, and I'm sitting, and I'm sitting, and I'm thinking, I can't believe that they're late. Sitting, 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 ain't value in my time. Sitting, sitting, <gasps> wrong Midtown. It dawned on me out of nowhere that we had said the other one. So I called, sorry I'm running late. I've done that two times, by the way. One time I ordered my coffee. I was sitting there thinking, and I took my coffee from this midtown to the other midtown. I've been lost before and not know it. But you know what? I had all the confidence. Even when I'm driving down the interstate, I have all the, by the way, those are the only three times I've ever done it. Um, but I've been driving down the interstate with the confidence that the road I was on would get me to the place that I intended for it to. But no matter how hard I try, that road is not getting me to where I'm supposed to be. John is simply saying that love is the road that's the proof that one is in Jesus. And a lot of people profess to know Christ, but many of their relationships are mar marked by anger, abuse of speech, bitterness, self-centeredness, pain, being offended. And most people don't know why they keep experiencing brokenness in relationships. Or they experience broken intimacy with God. Many times it's not, we're not connecting with the right people who walk with Jesus. Sometimes we're not walking with Jesus the way we need to be. And again, very clearly, none of us love perfectly. But when we fail, we repent. We ask forgiveness from God and we ask forgiveness from the one that we wronged. And it's a lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This same John in chapter 5 of this letter says that God's commandments, His expectations of us are not grievous or burdensome or too heavy they're not too much but love is a commandment if it's a commandment the implication is you can obey it but you can't obey it without a heart that's pursuing Jesus So maybe you're here this morning and I, I'm not trying to meddle and I'm not trying to judge. I'm working out my own stuff, but, but I do care. But if you're wondering why maybe you're filled with so much anxiety or you're filled with so much anger or you're filled with so much, like maybe hate, maybe you do feel hate, rage. I mean, maybe you do have a lot of like us and them kind of thinking. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you find it impossible to forgive. Maybe you've... Maybe there's a lot of things going on that you just can't figure out why. Why my prayer life is so affected. Why all my relationships are so volatile. I don't understand why I can't get ahead in any way. I don't know why people won't love me. 
Well, I think one of the first things we have to do is ask ourselves, are we, are we living in the love of Jesus? Have we repented of our prejudices, our judgments? Are we right with God? Do we spend time with Jesus? Are we aware that his love has been poured into us? Now, I don't know what's been done to you. You probably have every reason not to love somebody or maybe anybody. Nobody identifies more closely with that ability than Jesus Christ. Draw near to him. He understands. Be perfected by his love. So this morning, I don't want, I want to go ahead, and, go ahead and stand, if you would, reverently, quietly. But I don't want you to evaluate how well you feel loved this morning. I want you to begin by evaluating how well you are loving with the love of Jesus. And if there's a prayer that you need to pray, forgiveness, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer for courage, a prayer for grace, mercy, or opportunity, wisdom. Would you do that this morning? If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.